on service, we have not met. My name is David, and I want to thank you for being here if you are a first-time guest with us. Uh, this is the last message uh, in this series, which means that's the last time you have to see that video and hear that music. Um, I, most of the time, those, those, those videos, they, they, they inspire me. I get, get really fired up to, to preach. That one, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't really know what to do here. It's a, you know, weird, weird polka music. But uh, we're, we're uh, sharing the, the final message of, of Elephants in the Room, which means next week, uh, we're starting something new, and I want to tell you a little bit about that uh, before we dive into our message for today. Wednesday begins for us the season of Lent, L-E-N-T, not L-I-N-T. That's something different. Lent is a season in the life of the church, 40 days excluding Sundays, where we each year walk with Jesus to the cross. Uh, we do so remembering what Jesus shares with us, the challenge of taking up our own cross and following him. It is meant to be a, a season of intentional reflection uh, on our own lives of how we are living as disciples of Jesus uh, and what we might do to, to live as a more deeply devoted follower of Christ. Uh, over the course of, of this, this season, if you were here last year, uh, you know that we read through the Gospel of Luke together. And what I didn't tell you in advance last year is that of the four Four Gospels, Luke is the longest. But this year, uh, since we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark, I do want you to know that Mark is the shortest. So if you thought, I should read one of these books at some point, this is your year, okay? I want to invite you to join uh, us with that. Uh, in your bulletin, you receive this bookmark uh, that has a reading plan uh, for the 40 days of Lent uh, for us as an entire church family to walk through the Gospel of Mark, to walk with Jesus through, uh, through his story, through the Last Supper, through the crucifixion uh, and the resurrection we celebrate uh, on Easter weekend. Uh, we'll be looking at, at passages from Mark all throughout uh, each weekend as we gather. And if you're a part of a, a small group or a Sunday school class, uh, we've also provided curriculum for all those uh, who, who can follow along uh, with that same journey through the Gospel of Mark. So again, it's the shortest one. So I want to make sure that you're a part of that. Uh, if you uh, receive already our daily first 15 uh, daily, uh, daily devotional email, uh, that will also follow along with this journey. Same passages uh, as you read. If you don't subscribe to that, uh, you can go to dailyfirst15.org uh, and you can sign up to receive that in your email inbox. Unless you wake up before 3 a.m., it'll be there as soon as you wake up every single, uh, every single morning. So I hope you will join us in that as well. Uh, I want to tell you that, that we really started this, this series. The, the idea behind the, the first week was I wanted to start, a, start with just a word of confession with, with our entire church family. Uh, a confession from me saying, as a pastor, there's things that are hard for me to talk about. And I recognize that, that for us uh, here in the church, I wanted to invite you to join me in this affirmation. There's things that we all uh, have a hard time talking about. We struggle with that. And in some cases, because we struggle with one thing, we find ourselves struggling with another thing. And before we know it, there's whole area of our, areas of our lives that we, we, we struggle to talk about anything. And here's why that matters. The reason that matters is, is what we find in Matthew chapter 5, where, where, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the responsibility that we bear as followers of Jesus. We are called to be lights. Lights that reflect the glory, the love, the grace of God. This is an in, incredible, monumental task, and it's harder than we think it is when we first begin. 
Because maybe in your early days of following Jesus, you thought, well, this is going to be fun. I get to go tell everyone else what's wrong with their life. I get to be a light of the world. But along the way, perhaps you figured out, if you haven't, I'm just going to tell you now, that's not exactly what that means. Because just a few chapters later, Jesus says this. Uh, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And if that didn't hurt enough, look at what he says in verse 5. You hypocrite. Oh, nobody wants to be called that, right? First take the plank out of your own eye, then you can see to help help your brother. And so the conviction guiding us this entire series has been this, that light first has to come into our world for us to be a light for the world. That we must be willing to do the hard work first before we ask anyone else to do what hard work they may be, they may be needing to do. We want to wrestle and struggle with some things that are hard for us to talk about because we have to do that if we're going to be lights for others in our world. I want to tell you up front that this final topic that we're looking at this weekend, this is really where the entire series began for me. Uh, last fall, I went to a workshop uh, at Bethlehem Baptist Church, uh, and I went for a couple reasons. I went because I was interested in the topic, but I also went because one of our members, uh, Dr. Pat Rabjohn, who's a psychiatrist here in town, he was leading the workshop, and I, I wanted to go because I wanted to support Pat, and I, I wanted to hear what he was going to share. And over the course of that first session of that workshop, Pat just hit me right between the eyes with something that I, d describing the scope of an issue that I just... I didn't know how big it was. And afterwards, I went up and I talked to him about that, and, 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 I, and I expressed my surprise. And, and this is what he said in response to me. Uh, he said, nobody knows the size of the issue because nobody wants to talk about the issue. And that's really where elephants in the room began. Nobody knows the size of the issue because nobody wants to talk about the issue. So here is some of what he shared in that first in that first session. In our nation each year, more than 40,000 lives are lost as a result of individuals who make the decision to take their own life. That translates into 110 individuals each and every day, and that number exceeds those who are lost to breast cancer each year. It's more than double the number who are victims of a homicide in our nation. And in the last 10 years, the numbers of military veterans who have been lost in this tragic way has more than doubled over the previous decade. Now, some of you already heard that information because you saw the video that I uh, prepared for you and I, I sent out through social media because I wanted as many people as possible in our church to know in advance what we were going to talk about this weekend. And so you've already heard some of those stats and perhaps in your first hearing, whether it was just now or sometime this week, you experienced that same shock and surprise that I did. Well, here's an additional surprise that I didn't expect. I did not anticipate that when I shared that on Tuesday, what that would lead to over the following days is lots of emails. And not emails to say, why are we talking about this? What are you doing, Pastor? I can't believe this. But emails from many individuals in our church saying, thank you for talking about this. As they then told me about how this has touched their own life. They talked about loved ones. They talked about experiences, uh, close friends. Uh, they shared with me how this has impacted their own life and their own story. I'll tell you about just one of those. 
uh, from a woman in our church who's a leader in our church. She's a leader in our, uh, in our community. She is someone who uh, you know, uh, if you know her, you know her as a person of deep faith and, and conviction, a, a, a disciple of Jesus who is deeply devoted to him. Uh, I, I know her in that way, but I didn't know this part of her story. I didn't know what she shared with me in that email. I didn't know that many years ago she got a call from a police officer letting her know that her father had taken his own life. And that at the scene there was also a female who had died who she later found out was her mom. I didn't know that her faith story included that tragic episode. I didn't know that her faith story included the the healing that has come into her life over the course of many years of, of grieving the loss of both of her parents. And I also didn't know that a part of her faith story is the forgiveness that God has nurtured in her heart and her life as she's, over the course of years, come to an understanding of what her father dealt with for decades in his life. As a veteran who served in Vietnam, a, a police officer who served his community for 30 years and over the course of many decades dealt with the effects of PTSD, uh, the, the effects of which he never talked about. They were never diagnosed and he, was never, he never received any treatment for any of those effects that he was experiencing in his life. So, so listen with me for just a moment as, uh, as you hear now from uh, Dr. Rab John. Uh, he shares a, a message that he's prepared for our entire church family. So I have two very important things I want to tell you about suicide. Now all those previous facts are interesting and hopefully they got your attention. But I really want you to hear me on this. The number one risk factor for suicide is untreated depression. Without a doubt, our number one risk factor for someone taking their own life is untreated depression. So if you know someone who is sad, someone who's having a tough time, maybe it's triggered by a divorce, loss of a job, they're drinking too much, or they just don't seem the same, it's okay to ask them if they're depressed or having a difficult time. There is help available. We all have coworkers, friends, family, pastors, nurses, therapists, physicians, all of whom can help you. Our number one risk factor for suicide is untreated depression. The second thing I want you to think about is this. These suicidal thoughts are temporary. Think about the worst time you've had, the worst day of your life. We've all had one. It was temporary. If you've ever been suicidal, chances are you weren't the next day or the next week. So as intense as those thoughts can be, as bad as those days can be, they are temporary. It's okay to ask for help. 110 suicides a day in the U.S., that is far too many. Hopefully we can find ways to discuss this topic. We can limit attempts, people can find the help they need. Thanks for listening. I know some may wonder, well, why here? Why, why are we talking about this in this context? It sounds like something that's an important issue, but why would we, why would we set aside an entire weekend and all of our services uh, look at this, this particular issue? And, and I hope first you would, you would recognize that part of the reason is 
that, that I would hope that because we had the courage to talk about something that's hard for us to talk about, someone would reach out for the help they need that they might not otherwise have done. That someone would make a phone call, someone would talk to a friend or a family member, that, that someone would reach out to, to, to another who, who could provide support and, and, and help them in their, in their time of need. I would hope that someone would have the courage to do what they might not otherwise do because we were able to talk about this over the course of, of a weekend. But here's what I also know. I also know that, that, that you may be the one who has the chance to help someone here that God has not given up on their story. That you may be the one who has the chance to help someone here that what they are going through right now is in fact a temporary season in their life and that life can get better. And I know what many of you are thinking, you're thinking, well, that's not going to be me. I'm going to call you because you're the pastor and that's what you do. So I'm just going to call you. And, and here's what I just want to invite you to think about. Just those who are here at 930, those in the well, in the well cafe, there's one of me. And over the course of this weekend, there's thousands of you. Uh, that we have six pastors, but we have 8,000 members. And, and you may find yourself in a situation that as it progresses, you realize it's more serious than you thought. And you're going to be the one who's there. You're going to be the one who has the opportunity, the, the, the chance to share something that, that no one else has the chance to do because someone was courageous with you. So I want to invite you to do a couple things today. The first thing is, is if you brought your phone today, I want to invite you just to pull out your phone. Uh, in, in all of our services, all of our venues, I want you to invite you to pull out your phone, and I'm going to put a number uh, back up on the screen, uh, and I want to invite you to put this number in your phone. If you didn't bring your phone, turn your bulletin over, write this number down. When you get home, put it in your phone as soon as you get home. This is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And what I, uh, what I want everyone in church this weekend, everyone who's watching online, I want you to program that into your phone. Because there may be a day when you need it. There may be a day where you yourself need to make a phone call. You, you need to call this number. Or you may find yourself in a situation where you're with somebody and, and you're, you're going to want to know that resource so that you can share it with them. And I would love for everyone, again, just to, just to have that there so that if you find yourself at a time of need, you, you will know who to call. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can make a phone call. And there'll be someone there who can, who can talk to either you or someone you love, someone you care about, and talk them through the, the difficulty that they're going through. Here's the second thing I want to invite you to do. Go ahead and leave that up there for just a minute more. But listen uh, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Paul says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's who you are, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Just looking at verse 12, I want you to think about those words that Paul says. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul says, every single day when you wake up, this is what you should clothe yourself with. 
This is what you should wrap yourself up in as you go to, to live out your days, that every relationship, every word, every conversation, everything that you do as a follower of Jesus, you, you, you should do wrapped in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And as you think about what it would be to live like that, to, to approach every single moment of, of your life like that, I want you to think about that if someone has the courage to share with you something that maybe they've not shared with anyone else, to talk about a concern that they have in their life, something that they're struggling with, that they have in their life, if they have the, the incredible courage to share that with you, then I wanna suggest that whether it's me or you, we owe it to them to hear that with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And part of what that means is fighting off the discomfort that I know you will feel and I feel too when someone is vulnerable in that way. It means fighting off the, the, the temptation that we have to perhaps seek to dismiss or somehow diminish because we want to move on to a more comfortable conversation, but rather to simply be there and honor, honor the great courage that someone is living out and sharing with you something they may not have shared with anyone else. The help that they need is probably more than you can give. And so another way of thinking about how you would approach and, and move through that conversation is that as they take their next step, whatever that might be, I would want them, you should want them to leave, to, to, to be able to move to that next step with even more confidence because of how you have responded to the courageous first step that they have taken. Encouraging them to take that step, to do what they need to do, to get the help that they need in the situations they're living in right now. Now here's the third thing I want to do. I want to share with you what I say to someone, anyone who asks me the question about a loved one that they may have lost in this, in this tragic way. And I want to share this with you because I know for many, this will give you increased confidence, perhaps be in a situation uh, in the future. Uh, when, when I'm asked that question, here's what I begin with, that I believe we live in a spiritual world. We live in a world in which God is always working for our good. God works for our good through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works directly in our lives in ways that are mysterious and difficult for us to verbalize to one another. But the Holy Spirit also works in the lives of all those who are around us. Uh, God works in our lives through family and friends and co-workers. Uh, every relationship that you have, every person that you are connected with, you are in fact, though you may not know it, you are a conduit of God's grace at work in their life. That's part of the great responsibility and honor that we have as we share life with one another. The Holy Spirit works in the community of people that surround us. But in this spiritual world where I believe God is always working for our good, I also believe that there is an adversary who is not working for our good. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. The adversary does not delight in truth. Rather, the adversary's weapons are lies and deceit. 
And the adversary in using the weapons of lies and deceit, again, is an enemy of the life that God would lead us to. While the Holy Spirit is always working to connect us with one another, the work of the adversary is to isolate us from one another because the people around us are part of the ways in which God brings goodness into our life. And so while I understand that there are people who find no value, that they, they find themselves rejecting a belief in God because they find no value in a life where they would believe in God or live as God might call them to live, there are, is another uh, group of people very different from that. There are those who because of their, uh, what they have experienced in this battle with the adversary, the way that they have been battered by the adversary, they lose hope that God would find any value in them. And, and unless I've misunderstood almost everything I've read in this book about who God is and, and God's heart uh, and how God feels for each and every one of his children, I simply cannot imagine that God is going to let the adversary win that battle in the end. I just can't imagine that. Instead, what I imagine is this. I, I think about the image, and you've seen this before, of a young boy or a young girl just uh, eyes filled with tears. Everything has fallen apart. And a mom or a dad coming to embrace that child. A hug that is much tighter and lasts much longer than any other words of grace and love being whispered into, the, into their ear. That's what I imagine when I think about how Jesus welcomes those home whose lives may have come to such a tragic end. Because that is in my mind who God is. That is in my mind and my understanding. That's, that's the heart and that's the character that's the character of God. That we live in a spiritual world. We live in a world where God is working for our good, but there's an adversary who is not working for our good. But God, God is not going to give up that battle in the end. So let me back up and let me end by just saying a word about this word depression. The word that Pat mentioned is the number one cause of untreated depression. Here's my experience with that. My experience is that part of the trouble with depression is it doesn't express itself in our lives in the way that we think it will. Whether it's in our own life or in the life of someone else, we don't recognize it because it's not what we thought it would look like. And when we see what may be warning signs of that, again, in ourselves or in others, we are tempted to diminish or dismiss those warning signs for a lot of reasons. Sometimes we just think, well, that's what other people deal with. That's not what I deal with. That's a real concern for someone who might be dealing with that, but that's not what my experience is. Or maybe in the life of a loved one or perhaps parents with, uh, with, with kids who may be going through a difficult experience, we think to ourselves, we don't even want to kind of think about what that will mean for them if we use that word. We're afraid of even acknowledging that it may be a problem, and so we maybe push it aside or we say it's going to be okay and that's all we do. Or perhaps... Even more concerning for me as a pastor, sometimes we think, well, faith makes us immune to any of those things. We don't have to worry about that. 
Or maybe we think to ourselves, whether it's depression or some, uh, some other mental health issue, we think, well, we're just going to pray about it and God will make it go away. And let me, let me just invite you to think about why that's not a sufficient response. If, if over the course of the last week there was a natural disaster in our community, and there were thousands in our community who were without, who had uh, experienced great loss, and, and you made your way here this morning in part because you wanted to hear, what are we going to do as a church? What are we going to do for the thousands here in our local community who, who are in such great need? You may have made your way to church because that's what you had experienced in your own life or your neighbors may have experienced. And you came here hoping to hear, what are we going to do? And in response, here's what I might say. If I would have said, well, we're just going to pray about it and we're going to leave the rest to God. I would expect to be fired by tomorrow. Because what you would say in droves is you would say, that's not, that's not enough. That's not enough. That's not who we are. That's not how we understand our faith. It's not enough to simply say we're going to pray and just, well, God, make it, make it somehow better. You, you understand yourself to be a people who are committed to not only praying, for restoration and, uh, and, and working with those who find themselves in, in, in great need. But you're people who follow those prayers by rolling up your sleeves and saying, let's get to work. You would say there's people all around us who are in need. We're going to pray for them, but we're going to do so much more than that. Because that's who you are. And I know it's hard. I know it's scary. I know it may where that prayer might lead you to, what, what it may call you to do may be something really, really difficult. But it's a step that I know that there's many that they may need to take. In January of 2015, I became your senior pastor. For those who don't know, I've been here a long time, but 2015 was when that occurred. In February of 2015, uh, I went with a, a group to Rwanda, and I got back from Rwanda, and what I realized was, I'm tired. It had been a busy couple months. That was the year that I learned that January and February is actually more busy than November and December. I got to March, about mid-March, I went to a, a three-day meeting uh, that uh, it was a, a committee uh, that, that serves our, our annual conference, and Jim was actually the chair of the committee at that time. I found myself that first night getting very little sleep, and I thought to myself, well, this is strange, this is weird, this is not like me, I'm usually, you know, boom, I'm out, you know, tornado, thunder, whatever, I'm, I'm out, I'm not waking up, that's just... Kind of what my story had always been. So I found myself not able to sleep, and I thought, well, this is strange. Uh, and then the next night, I had the same thing. And I remember mentioning something to, to Jim, like, yeah, I'm just having some trouble sleeping. It's weird. I don't know what it is. I, I, guess, I guess, guess I'll figure it out. And I remember thinking again, well, this isn't like me. This isn't normal, but uh, I'll be fine. No big deal. Somehow this is going to get better. But it didn't get better. And so over the course of about six weeks following, maybe four to six weeks, I can't remember, there, there were many nights like that where I just, I just couldn't sleep. And again, I kept thinking, this is weird, this is strange, this is not like me, this is not my pattern, but I guess, I guess it'll get better. I remember actually mentioning it to, to, to Pastor Mike, our, our former senior pastor, and here's what Mike said to me. Mike said, congratulations, this is your new life. <laughs> 
he said, I've had a thousand nights like that over the course of the last two decades. And, and I went home and, and, and I remember sharing that with, with my wife, Stephanie, and her response was, I, that's not acceptable to me. And so that kind of nudged me and I thought a little bit more. And, and, and then here, here's, here's what ended up happening. One Saturday night, I didn't sleep at all. And I got out of bed the next morning thinking, I've got to preach three times today. And I actually had another sermon I was preaching that afternoon. And I thought, I can't keep doing this. And so I called Pat. And I went by his office and he asked me some questions and I told him what was going on. And, and in response, he said this. He said, well, I can tell you what's happening. He said, you're having panic attacks. And the thing is, if you have a panic attack, the likelihood you're going to have another one in the next 72 hours is really high. And so what's happening in your life right now is you're just on this merry-go-round. And it's going to keep happening until we stop the merry-go-round. And he said, here's the good news. I can help you with that. And you need some help. I said, okay, well, what, what, help, what help do you have? And he said, well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to write you a prescription well, what's it for? It's for an antidepressant. Oh, wait a second. I don't think I need that. Yes, you do. So I took it and got in the car and I went home and that was hard. It was really hard. But the hardest thing was to go home and when I walked in the door, Stephanie said, what did he say? And I had to tell her, he told me that I need help. But here's why I tell you that story. I tell you that story because I know that there are some who have felt a nudge in your life. There's, there's something maybe that's happening right now and you've already thought to yourself, this isn't normal. But perhaps you've been dismissing it thinking, well, it's just gonna, it, it, it'll get better. And, and maybe you would think, well, I'm not gonna listen to him. He doesn't know how hard it is. Yes, I do. I do. But I also want you to hear that from the standpoint of today, I'm, I have a better understanding of what was going on in my life at the time. Why couldn't I sleep? I couldn't sleep because I was scared to death that I was going to disappoint so many people who had placed their faith in me. And being afraid of disappointing others, I mean, that's normal. We all feel that to some extent. But I also know that one of the ways that the adversary manipulates the emotions and experiences of our life is he works through fear, he works through guilt, he works through anger. And so this somewhat normal fear of, well, I don't want to disappoint people had suddenly become, and the weight of the world was on my shoulders. Rather than recognizing that this isn't all on me. And I recognize from the standpoint of today that there was something at work in my life that was working for my good. There was the nudge that was saying, this is not normal. And there was also the nudge of, of a loving, patient, gracious wife who said, this is not acceptable. And we're not just going to avoid it. And last night I slept great because what was going on in my life was a temporary season 
and there was someone who was there to offer help. So I want to encourage you, if you feel a nudge, if the Spirit's working in your life and maybe encouraging you to simply have a conversation, don't avoid that because there's help available. There's people all around you who, who love you and care about you and who want to help you take a next step. Nothing we've talked about in five weeks is easy. It's all hard. It all takes courage. But hear these words again. You are the light of the world. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and the work of your Holy Spirit in the community that surrounds us. I pray, Lord, that, that if you are right now working in someone's life, inspiring them to take a step that may be really hard to take, Lord, I pray that you would give them courage that they would know not only your love available for them, but also, Lord, the love of so many who want to help. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us an increased sensitivity to those around us, to the needs that they might raise, the, the concerns that they might share. Lord, would you give us, Lord, the strength of your compassion and, and patience, Lord, to maybe sit in a moment that's hard for us to be present in, but to do so in a way that honors the courage of someone who might share something difficult with us. Lord, would you enable us to be, to be people who can be there for one another, representing your grace, representing your spirit at work in the lives of your people. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be perfect, that the weight of the world is not on our shoulders, and that whatever we may be experiencing in life, Lord, there is not only the grace of your love, but also, Lord, there's the promise that it is temporary. So give us a vision of what that might be as we seek together, Lord, to be who you've called us to be, the light, the light of your world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.